am I going to do? I've watched it so many times and I keep having the same feeling. I think... I think I kind of like Spider-Man 3. But I feel like no one in the world feels the way I do. I just wish I had someone to talk to. What, what, what was that? Is someone there? Remember that part where there's that cool Sandman fight in the subway? So underrated. How about that time Peter dances down the street in his new black suit? So misunderstood! What about when Harry and Peter team up to fight Venom and save Mary Jane? So good. I kinda like Spider-Man 3. I want to talk about it too, Scott. That's why I've been looking for you. Looking? For, for me? Oh yeah. I know all about you. You do? Like what? Like the fact that we've recorded 245 podcasts covering every minute of Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, so if we stop now, it just doesn't seem right to me. Wait, that you, Zach? Look, I want to talk about Spider-Man 3. You want to talk about Spider-Man 3. Together, its bad reputation doesn't stand a chance. Interested? Yeah. But where can people find us? Oh, my spider sense is tingling, if you know what I mean. And it's telling me that they should look for Spider-Man Minute Season 3 on DuelingGenre.com or wherever they get their podcasts this summer. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing some of the most uh, popular character types from the TV show Survivor. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest Kate Dorowski. Welcome back, Kate. Thanks for having me. Very glad to have you on, and always glad to have you on to talk about something we're collaborating with a project about. So uh, you and I were able to co-author some books on Cheers and Frasier, and the next one we're, we're trying to work on is a book about the TV show Survivor. And uh, it doesn't have the same, obviously, characters, you know, kind of characters that we see in, <laughs> in scripted sitcoms, but there are certain character types that if you've watched Survivor for any length of time, you start to see some, some repeated tropes in the casting. There's some themes happening. Yeah, the uh, the producers and the casting directors know some of what they like in order to, to make a good TV show. And Survivor kind of rides this interesting line between reality TV and competition show, um, where it's not strictly the point the camera at people who are supposedly just living out their lives, even though we all know how mediated those kinds of reality shows are as well. Um, there is this uh, constant competition and uh, a format that's built to kind of shape each episode, you know, building to the tribal council where someone gets eliminated. So it's 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 a mix of uh, reality show and and game show in some ways, and and sports competition also. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, Survivor has aired on CBS for forty seasons across the last twenty years. So even if you haven't seen it, I'm guessing you've heard of Survivor or at least some of the lingo that has made its way out of the show and into our general discourse, and has also been referenced on 
many, many other uh, parts of popular culture now. So many sitcoms have jokes that refer to Survivor or do callbacks to things um, that that come from this show. Um, in that time, so those 20 years, the game has evolved and hundreds of people have appeared on the show as contestants. We're going to dig into some of the recurring types of characters we see and also highlight some of the most popular or memorable characters that have appeared on the show. So it's this is going to be a break from some of our traditional format on the Protagonist podcast in order to highlight a different kind of character in popular culture. Kate, do you remember when you first started watching Survivor? Um, like vaguely, I remember the first season because I think you and many in the family watched that one. Um, I was too young to really like take it in, but I like vaguely remember it being on. I think I started watching it like pretty consistently in college um with you long distance like we would each watch the episode and then talk about it so it was a way Mm -hmm. to kind of like stay connected that's my memory of really diving into the show and i do remember that that was ozzy season and he will forever be one of my favorites probably because (laughs) of that and and he does uh he's a good representative of one of the types of uh contestants they like to cast on the show. So we'll we'll circle back to talking oh, about Oh, oh for sure. <laughs> yes. Um I remember when it first aired it was a summer show and this was a period on network television when summer shows were just trial balloons. Like there was a really strict delineation of your fall season and then your holiday break, and then you complete your the the uh, a season of television in 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 the winter, and uh, and then in the spring and summer there's breaks of the scripted television that is network television, and occasionally networks would try, uh, and mostly it was reruns uh, that that would be airing during the the late spring and summer, um, but occasionally network would try a new show, and the first season of Survivor was one of those kind of like trial balloons, like well let's see if this reality show thing can work for American audiences. We're going to drop a survivor in the summer. And it became a phenomenon for, for CBS. Um, And uh, very quickly uh, got renewed for more seasons. And then very quickly, they started airing two seasons per year, which is how we're at the 40th season airing in 2020 when it first premiered in the year 2000 um, in May, 2000. Uh, And the basic premise of the show that you're going to drop a dozen plus people on an island and every single week uh someone will be eliminated that hasn't changed but there's been a lot of twists and turns in how the producers try to mix things up and how contestants have changed what kind of gameplay but even going back to that first season uh you can start to see some of the mold into which certain contestants are cast um and you know where they're coming from uh that they they want to keep a mix of both uh, age range and um, social background uh, and personality uh, on the show so that as they drop these people off on the island, uh, they're they're hoping to get dynamic interplay of personality um, w- within the contestants on Survivor. So Kate, for you, what are some of the most memorable characteristics or, or uh, types of, of people that they cast on Survivor? Well, I've been rewatching all the seasons um, in preparation for our book and doing research and have been jotting down different character types as they kind of become 
familiar through each season. Um, I have noticed that it generally they keep to the the horror film kind of tropes of there's always the pretty girl who doesn't really talk a lot, which is just there to be pretty, and they get a lot of shots of them. It is TV, so they have to. There is the the usually pretty boy dumb jock trope. Yeah, I had that one down Often as the frat bro. The frat, that's a good one. Yeah, the frat bro, not fat bro, but um, the frat like fraternity. <laughs> frat bro, bro, uh, who usually thinks he's smarter and going to go farther than they generally do. Um, the the intellectual, um, and there's typically an older man. Usually this is sweet older man and often weirdly in seasons befriends a younger woman and they have like a tight bond. That's happening in multiple seasons. Yeah. But I, just to make clear, it's often kind of, it feels like a father daughter or even depending on the age range, sometimes they're like a grandfather, granddaughter, and they talk about it that way. You know, there's nothing. Yes. At it's least not, it's not typically a- what we see. It's not creepy. Uh, not to say that survivor has yeah, escaped creepiness in all the interactions that they've had, but that, that dynamic that you're describing that has happened several times is often much more of a, she reminds me of my daughter kind of relationship. Yeah. It's very pure, very sweet human interaction to watch. Um, there's often the, I don't know another way to describe it than like the villain, the one who I'll do anything to win this. I will lie. I will cheat. I will backstab character. Um, and then the ones who seem so sweet and can't possibly imagine betraying or lying someone, but then they usually do. And then they like have to, uh, describe why um and also the ones who lie about what their profession is or lie that they've had significant income or they want to keep that like unknown so they seem more like you want to give them a million dollars um and then there's my favorite and i don't know another way to describe them other than the outdoorsy man bun trope and they're the 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 Ozzy, the Joe, the Malcolm. There's many others, but those are the three, like, they've been on multiple times. They're iconic. Um, but there usually is a guy, longer hair, super outdoorsy, super athletic, does really well in the challenges. Maybe not always the brightest, but goes very far. It's very likable and great television. Yes. Um, with that particular character type, I, what stands out to me is that they, they do great uh, challenges, both the physical elements, but they often do really well at the um, puzzle element of the game. And from what we yes. see in, in the edit, and this is part of it, is we know this is all mediated. Like, uh, everything you get on Survivor is edited. Like, yes, these players are giving them the material, so there's a reality to to what the editors have to work with, but we're we're getting... Uh, a lot of these people are, are condensed down into only being given some of these character type moments when they happen on the island. And maybe they had stuff that would cast them in a different light, but for clarity and simplicity, we, that stuff gets omitted and we get the stuff that feeds into this kind of idea. Um, and often with the um, outdoorsy man bun <laughs> type, uh, what we see as far as their social game is that they're very likable, but we don't see them scheming 
to advance in the game as much as other characters. So it feels like a lot of the strategy is, um, isn't, uh, their strong suit. It is doing well in certain aspects of the game of survivor, uh, and, and being likable enough that they get brought along in the strategy. And I don't know, I, I'm sure Malcolm, Joe, Ozzy all have strategy. Uh, it's just not the highlight of their game that we get. Right. I don't mean to discredit that for anyone. I don't mean to box any player into just these little stereotypes. It's just what we're given as the show how to create characters. And that's what we see. And I'm not saying yeah, that this it, is how they are in their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is the nature of television. And, and with Survivor, um, the seasons tend to be thir- 13 to 15 episodes, right? Um, and But they're on the island for 39 mm-hmm. days, usually. So all that hours of material with dozens of cameramen rolling all the time gets condensed into you know, 15 hours of footage <laughs> that is telling a cohesive story. So a lot of simplification has to happen. Um, and, you know, massive elements of everyone's gameplay get get cut entirely for the sake of telling a co- cohesive story for an audience that's going to consume this for an hour a week on, you know, right now on Wednesday nights on CBS. If even, if 42 minutes, really. Yeah. I like the way you described those um, in poking around uh, and, and starting to do research on Survivor in more depth. So this is a show that I've watched um, every season for the last probably 10 years. But uh, even before that, I'd seen probably half the seasons. Now I've seen every season, um, haven't gone back. Um, there's a very deep fan base for this. Uh, and so there's lots of other people who have worked out their systems. Um, there is um, a woman named Angie um i think it's cance is how it's pronounced it's c-a-u-n-c-e um she appears on uh, a survivor focused podcast um that's host hosted by a former survivor named rob uh Sesterino. um but she before each season looks at the the um pre-season um materials that cbs puts out about every character and tries to put them into their character types and she has I want to say over 20 different character types that she has built around um, pop culture. So one character type that she has is the pony boy from the outsiders. And another one is a Mr. Miyagi. And another one is the lady Gaga. <laughs> and there's the GI Jane. <laughs> um, and, the, but some, she just labels as like the alpha male control freak <laughs> or the seduce and, and destroy. <laughs> so, uh, so she has her own system and um, with this last season, I've been listening to The Ringer does a Survivor recap. And each episode, um, the host uh, highlights a particular style of gameplay is how he describes it. And it'll be something like um, stab you in the front side is a style of gameplay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, or, or, uh, and, and so he's he's uh, doing a, a different kind of categorization. So we're not trying to say like ours is the definitive at all. We're just saying... We enjoy the show, and across 40 seasons, you start to see uh, that the CBS favors um, presenting these people in certain lights. Um, some other styles that I had put down that you, ha- uh, you hadn't said yet, and I'm sure may overlap in some ways, is the wildcard uh, player. Um, and I was thinking specifically of uh, characters from some recent seasons like uh, Nora um, from season 39 uh or, <laughs> right right or even um tony uh who who is I, someone who who won a season 
he may be the only wild card that's one that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, but he definitely is. My first thought was, yeah, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> in the wild, wild card mold. Um, the Godfather uh, type character. These are the ones who um, create plans and maneuver to see their plan and only their plan carried out. <laughs> um, <laughs> very often with the Godfather type characters, there's a rebellion. <laughs> like it works for like two two tribals and then everyone else is like, no, I don't, I don't like this. This is not what I'm looking for. <laughs> um, I had the sweetheart as a character type. Um, and, and then there's like the counterpoint uh, is, is more of like the siren stereotype that um, like mm. a Harvardy. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the sweetheart would be like back in season one, like the Colleen, right? She's more of the uh, innocent uh, girl that um, a lot of the guys on the island like acknowledge are cute. Uh, but th- that's, you know, about it uh, as far as it goes. But then there's like the parv- Parvati. Uh, who flirts her way through a lot of very strong gameplay <laughs> um, to, but, but the highlight of the gameplay, or at least again, what, what we're presented as an audience is the flirting as part of the gameplay. In thinking about these character types, uh, Kate, what, which ones do you think are the most successful in terms of playing the game? Oh, well, the thing is for a lot me. of these, um, I can think of ones that were like, okay, there's a winner or someone who went very far that fits into it. One that I immediately actually think of that doesn't tend to go very far is the frat bro. They, they often come in and talk a very big game, but I, I, they very rarely make it to the merge or if they do make it to the merge, they're gone very early in the merge. Um, yeah, I think, I think very strong men, right? Yeah. They always come in very confident and very um, sure that they're going to just dominate this game. And it comes off, yeah, I don't know if that's the unappealing side to them or just that there's something else about them, but they often go pretty early on. One thing I've heard from um, some contestants doing press uh, after the fact and talking about it is that a lot of um, the guys that come in that are very physically strong, they're used to a much higher calorie intake <laughs> than what you get on Survivor, where um, you th- the contestants are given a bag of rice to share. Uh, and it usually gets me, you know, everyone's getting a cup of rice, if that per day, unless they're winning some reward challenges, which is the reward challenges very literally are a way to get calories back into the contestants. Cause if everyone gets too worn out, it makes for bad television. <laughs> so the, the producers know they've got to be feeding uh, the contestants uh, more than the rice. Uh, if they want to see good television in terms of, both mental scheming and social scheming, but then also good active gameplay, particularly during, during challenges that come up. Um, but a lot of the uh, stronger guys that are, are clearly more like weightlifting uh, their, their calorie intake is so high that when they come, the, their body just does not react as well as a lot of other people's to, uh, to the low calorie intake that happens on, on the Island. So they don't do as well as they imagined they would, which then can create an emotional downward spiral when, when, you know, physically they're not living up to what expectations they had for themselves. And also there's times they, they acknowledge that and they say, well, I'm used to getting more. I need more. And that creates the, the chaos in the, the tribe because they're almost like demanding these extra servings and Mm -hmm. that's not fair, but they're not wrong is the issue, but, you can't pull that on survivor. Yeah. You understand why they think they 
should get more, but you also can immediately see why everyone else says that's unfair. Like, you can see both sides of that. (laughs) Yeah. And and when it's one person saying one thing and everyone else saying, well, no, that's not fair, the one everyone else can (laughs) gang up and vote that person out (laughs) pretty easily. Um, And if they do make it into the game, they often, like I said, they don't make it far after the merge. And I, I ran the numbers for the first 39 seasons, and it's about two thirds of the time uh, the first vote out is a woman. But then after the merge, it flips. And two thirds of the time, the first vote out after everyone merges and becomes an individual game, uh, it, the first vote out is a man. And the way this happens like it's it's kind of unfortunate to like almost every time a season starts you can just assume the first vote out is going to be one of the women but you can understand Mm -hmm. the logic that gets explained over and over in these votes is that at the start of the game you've got 16 people usually sometimes more but they're divided into two tribes and for the first half of the game it's a tribal challenge and whatever tribe wins the challenge uh is going is safe and no one has to go home and the tribe that loses, someone gets sent home. And the logic over and over is that we need to keep the strong, the tribe strong, meaning physically strong, even though so many of these challenges have puzzle elements that is about mental uh, ingenuity. Always comes down to the puzzle. And problem solving. But they, they always, always, always are like, we have to keep our tribe physically strong, so we're going to keep the strong men around and vote out a woman. And so it, it was almost 70% of the time uh, 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 that a woman gets voted off first because of that logic that you hear very frequently. But then at the merge, so once about half the tribe is gone, usually, or half the contestants are gone, uh, you merge and uh, now it becomes an individual individual challenge where every episode uh, there is uh, a challenge and whoever wins that, they are safe. They receive individual immunity, but anyone else can be voted out. And over and over and over, you hear the logic of, well, we got to get rid of the strong men because they could become challenge beasts and win three or four or five in a row and just always be safe. So we got to get them out now. So at that first merge challenge, if the strongest man doesn't win, they often get voted out because of the fear of them doing well in a physical challenge. Now, the producers do, I think, a pretty good job of mixing it up where what wins challenges is, again, mental strength at puzzles or problem solving or just endurance, physical endurance to do something not physical strength to do something but then also some challenges where physical strength are going to are going to be a benefit so it's not like one body type or one type of individual is always going to do well but it seems like there there comes like an over-reliance on the strength early on uh and then a fear of it once it becomes an individual game yeah that's really interesting i didn't realize it was so high of 70 percent. it's a woman that goes first but then it flips almost perfectly at the merge <laughs> That's really fascinating. Um, but like you said, it always comes down to the puzzle, which for me, the the intellectual nerd, uh, they often get painted as underdogs in their edits and how they're shown, but they often do very well at the challenges, at, at key parts um, of the challenges. So I'm thinking of some of the iconic versions of this would be Aubrey uh, or Christian or um, uh, Christian. Cochran, right? Those... They're all on the mm-hmm. on the nerdier intellectual side, but they all had very deep runs in their seasons or won a season um, by relying on problem solving, but then also strategizing the strategizing uh, side of the game, which seems to in terms of uh, like character types, uh, I think that maybe should be more feared often than the ones who look physically strong. Yeah, but it's just human nature. You just you see them as the physical presence and that's your fear. 
and and I think for the audience and in terms of packaging the TV show, producers must love it when the more underdog intellectual ones are able to take out the bigger physical threats. Um, <laughs> well, I can't remember what season it was, but I know there was one where they were, uh, it, it was like four people. And I think it was a tribe of nine, four people who were all like the young, attractive, uh, two, two men, and two women. And they, they went off and were, uh, it was on the first day. And they're like, we should, we should run this game. Look at us. We're the four best. And they were leaving the five others who were all a little older, less physically imposing. Um, <laughs> but they all were looking out like they're making an alliance, aren't they? And then it cuts to them like out in the water. Like we, we are going to do so great. Uh, and it's four and five. <laughs> And this, and immediately, first tribal, one of those four from that alliance gets voted out. Uh, and they're like, what happened? I thought we were running this game. Like, they were just flabbergasted that their strategy was of that... having four in a tribe of nine didn't work. <laughs> was that Africa with the, the necklaces and the beads? Oh, I don't think, it's it a different one. but divided I re- on that tribe. Yeah, it, it wasn't that one, but that. I do remember that kind of thing happening before. It's not the only time that's happened. A similar break off of, yeah. Not good gameplay. Um, As far as television, which, which, uh, what kind is the most entertaining, do you think, um, of these different character types? See, that's where I got hung up on your question of what's most successful. And uh, my brain went, well to like watch is that the success story or to win and so i got i just went back and forth i was like oh but like i want to watch this type but they don't usually win so i got real hung up on that one um the best to watch might be the godfather one because they're always such confident humans that give really good interviews and have such confident gameplay but never really follows through except for a few occasions (laughs) Right, so the most famous Everyone version watch of The Godfather is, is, like is Boston Rob, um, who has been on the show. He literally says, I'm the Godfather. Yes. On it. And, and he gets called it, or the Rob Father sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's one of the most famous um, Survivor contestants. Um, in season 39, they did Island of the Idols, which was actually calling Boston Rob and um, Sandra Diaz Twine the Idols of Survivor. Like, these are the most iconic two players to have ever played the game. Um, now, Boston Rob, this is, is this his fourth or fifth time playing right now. He's on the current season that's airing now in 2020, which is uh, Winners at War. So all previous winners. Is, you had to be a previous winner to, to be on it. It's not all the winners. Um, but he's only won once. And yet he is such a memorable character on the show that I think sometimes we forget <laughs> that his, his gameplay isn't always successful because it's so entertaining to watch him uh, try and do his scheming. And, but also I want to say his most successful season where he actually won was his most boring outing uh, because he just got terrible a tight alliance around him that he told them what to do and they all actually did exactly what he said and never varied it from it. So they picked off the entirety at the merge. Uh, they picked off the entire other tribe first. And then he just picked off one by one by one, his own Alliance till he, you know, they get to the final vote of who's going to win the million dollars and he wins. Cause everyone has to kind of like grudgingly say, well, he ran the show, <laughs> but it was not entertaining <laughs> television. It's much more entertaining when he's trying to assert control and it's not quite working. 
yeah, those are the good ones when um, they think they have full control or they're confident that they will get it and the other tribe mates will just not have it. Yeah, and I think it goes back to some of the why I said I, I actually can really start rooting for the underdog, the intellectual nerdy uh, characters on this island who are often so full of self-doubt, whereas the Godfather characters are always uh, often what feels like unearned self-confidence is oozing um, off of them. And they expect everyone to just respect their opinions because they're saying it. Um, but you get the nerdy ones and often like their first talking heads are like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm not going to fit in. No one's going to like me. These are my greatest fears. They list their greatest fears often, like as the first, first thing we learn about them. (laughs) And and so they're they're Um, like, do you think that? Oh, go ahead. Go on. I just was thinking of when you flip that into they're at the, like if they made the finals and at the jury, and the confident ones can so easily say, like, I did this, this, and this. And it's, you know, the intellects are like, well, I did this. You didn't see it, but I did it. And that's the flip side of the game is that then the jury has to decide, like, do you actually deserve to win this then? Right. And the, and the, con- the Godfather ones are so showy about it that they do. Yeah, but uh, how many Godfather types have won the game? It's it's not as that's often, true. Yeah, I think, because there's because the rebellion happens uh, of other contestants realizing that if the Godfather makes it all the way, they will win because everyone's going to perceive them as having run the show. They're seen with that. And and that's the, the balance of the show is exactly what you were just pointing out that um, it's get to the end. And now it's a final three. It used to be a final two, but now it's almost always a final three. Uh, And then the jury selects from the final three players, who's going to win the million dollars. So along the way, you're, betraying and backstabbing the people who get to choose who's going to win the million dollars. Um, and some of it does come down to what story can I tell the jury? And I think for the more insecure or the, the, the nerdier um, characters on the show, their story is often about transformation and um, like gaining confidence and uh, vanquishing the self-doubt that they had. Whereas for Uh, any godfather type characters that make it all the way their story is often about how much i accomplished because i set my mind to it right i i determined this is what was going to happen and Mm -hmm. look it did right now i'm trying to think one of the best character types to watch is the wild card characters but outside of tony can do they do they I guess they they often make it far, but they're being brought along by the schemers who are hoping to be able, to be able to say this person didn't really earn their way here. They're just kind of here sitting next to me, so vote for me, right? Yeah, I feel like they're they're brought along because a they're like a distraction for other people. Like they're doing the crazy things, so it keeps the schemers off the radar, and they keep them around until they realize they could just flip on a dime and betray you. And so they have to go at that point or that they're just a shield to the final. And then it's like, well, nobody's going to vote for this person. I'm going to keep them. Yeah. And, and I guess one thing that does help them often get far is they, they do flip and, and the alliance they flip to all of a sudden can have strength. Right. Or like they're, they're often comes right. to these like pivot votes where there's kind of like, group of three here group of three here and one person in the middle that could go either way and it's often the wild card character not the godfather character that's that's going to be the one in that position so 
whatever they choose, they do end up going farther in the game, whether they get to the final three or then earn the votes of the jury is a different matter entirely. But being a wild card can actually get some of these people, um, you know, it, it, to the next, through one tribal and into the next. Yeah, definitely. It can be a great blessing to be the wild card and kind of a free agent is another term they use with that. But I do always like the ones that are also just like the social wild cards where you don't know what they're going to do next at camp. (laughs) This is such great television to have those ones on screen. Now, there is like the, the... I think there's definitely some overlap between things like the wild card characters, but they can become like the villain character that you are identifying. Where some of the villain characters... Like the most famous villain is Russell Hance, who very deliberately sowed chaos. But there are some that are villain characters because they just are leaving chaos in their wake, whether they mean to or not. <laughs> so like uh, Russell Hance, he came on. I can't remember. Uh, like in the in, so I can't remember when his first season was, but it, it's like in the first half of the series, and he kind of redefined what a villain in Survivor was going to be. Whereas before him, it was often like someone who backstabs two or three times. That's a villain. He became a villain where he's like, my greatest asset is going to be causing so much chaos that people forget to look at me. So I'm going to do stuff like burn other players' clothes, (laughs) um, eat more than my share of food secretly, (laughs) uh, (laughs) hide the machete so that no one else knows where it is, um, and never to like take credit for it in the moment. Uh, And Russell Hance, he, he was great at getting to the end of Survivor, but he was never good at getting any votes <laughs> at the final tribal. <laughs> he forgot the social aspect of the game. Uh, but he he is such a memorable character that I think the two seasons that he was on, he got the fan favorite vote, but didn't even get close to winning the million dollars from the jury. Is that right? Am I remembering that right? Um. That is my memory as well, but I believe it's because you told me that recently, so I think oh, okay. I adopt that to my memory. And well, I I do vividly remember that in uh I think it was the second time he played, he at, at the reunion show. So after the season finishes, they do a reunion show, which is you know months after the everything they filmed, where they announce who actually won. Jeff gives them a million dollars, and then they kind of like touch base with everyone. Um, uh, or as many as they can in, in the time they have left after the, the finale is aired uh, in the, in the time slot they have on CBS. But I remember him arguing with Jeff that his game was the best game that Survivor had ever seen. And Jeff kept saying, you didn't win. Like there's this whole aspect of playing Survivor, <laughs> which is that the jury doesn't hate you so much that they will give you a million dollars. And Russell will be like, that doesn't matter. I just played the greatest game ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he had like the godfather confidence but in the villain role but then there are other characters who end up with like the they often call them the villain edits because every season needs someone you're kind of rooting against and i think sometimes they don't realize they're the villain russell hence fully embraced being the villain um right but but like his his nephew brandon um has appeared twice i think he will never be on again because he got way too out of control as a wild card villain um uh, who just oh, it, it's right. chaos happens? Chaos happens around him, uh, and it's not like a deliberate scheme. The way for some of the villains we see on Survivor. Hmm. Yeah, I think what some else? some players oh. just come in just and they're just by nature 
chaos and it's not a deliberate gameplay. It's just how they are. But I, I, I think for Russell strategy for how it gets received by the audience, uh, it could be moved in into either like the delightful wild card or the villain, uh, depending on how um, it affects the other players and also how the edit presents it to us as the audience and how the audience receives that edit. So I think Brandon gets remembered right, right. as a as a villain, where someone like Nora from a couple seasons ago, who was just it, it felt like flighty and you never knew what was coming out of her mouth next, um, is more just of the like delightful chaos. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, do you have any other characters that stand out? Again, hundreds and hundreds of people have played on Survivor. I can't remember the total number, um, but it's it's a very high number at this point. Um, do you have any who stand out to you as like favorites or, you know, like resonated with fans and let's talk about what character types they kind of, uh, primarily embody, but also where some of the overlap with some of these other character types are. Cause a lot of famous surviving characters, it's not just one type that they're embodying as they play. Right. They definitely overlap. And especially the ones that play multiple times, they come in kind of seeing how they played last time and, redirect their gameplay um differently um most memorable i mean do you want to talk about ozzy and joe and malcolm and that type yeah let's let's go ahead and, and talk about them and why and these are characters like you said they've all played multiple times the producers know that these are very popular characters to have uh on the show and so they try and cast new ones but they also bring the the previously popular ones back multiple times. Yeah. And they, they strike a chord with people and it, they are genuinely likable humans <clears throat> from watching it. They seem that way. And it seems that the tribe mates always get along with them and like being around with them, but then also realize the threat that they are. So they don't always go that far anymore. Um, but they they provide for the tribe, which is another uh, character type we don't really talk about. The ones that go above and beyond and provide for the tribe and feel that oh, I'm so relied upon that nobody's going to vote me out. It um, feels like it feels like as far as the provider, that was a character type you saw in the first 10, 10 seasons. And then it kind of lost its ability to carry a a character farther into the game. Um, Yeah. Because I'm thinking early on, that was like, they're not going to vote me out because I'm the one getting them fish. Now everyone's like, well, get them out now because they're going to be a challenge beast later on. (laughs) It seems to be some of the attitude. So so a lot of people who are the providers, they at least, they either don't make as much a deal about it uh, at camp or we don't get it in the edit as much as we used to because we used to always know who in the early seasons was the one that was more than pulling their weight around camp. And we used to always know who was the one that was being presented as lazier around camp. Yeah. And that just might be like the growing change of the show that the other seasons, it was a survival show that they would show how hard it is, how much they're not eating when they get to eat, how much they're suffering. And then as the show progresses, that edit goes away from that because I don't know why. I'm sure they had thinking on that, um, but just it goes to that the more the social and the gameplay as that gets stronger as people watch more seasons, 
to figure out how to play the game versus they don't show the survivor aspect, survival aspect of it as much anymore. Yeah. So that might just be a part of it. mm -hmm. There's definitely been a transformation there. Um, And well, like even in the early seasons, if it felt like, and and it was like, these people don't have a really great water source. (laughs) Like, I don't know how they're going to stay <laughs> hydrated. And now it's always like, well, here's a well with water. Cause we realize we have to give you water. <laughs> like that's uh, a right, bare minimum yeah. that we've got to be able to provide <laughs> is, is water. You just, you don't see them worrying about rice anymore. And well, it wasn't that long ago that one of the tribe, like uh, the Angelina tribe had to go and try and make a deal with Jeff for more rice. Cause they'd eaten it all. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, but but guess, it's not. So those kind of. The, it was like an every episode discussion uh, in the early years. And it's not an every episode discussion yeah. now at all. I guess that's. Yeah. I mean, like the early ones. It's I'm every episode. I'm fully aware that they are hungry and they are lacking food. And now these seasons, it's the new seasons. Maybe like one episode. They just point out like, oh, yeah, they're not eating a lot. Like, oh, I've lost a lot of weight, but it's not a a plot point anymore and not to discredit how hard the game is and how much they go through out there. It's just not the driving force of the show at this point. Yeah. And I think it should be highlighted a little more frequently, particularly like later in the season when there starts to be some questionable strategy, like just reminding us, these are people who have not had a good night's (laughs) sleep in over a month and haven't eaten a, you know, outside of these three reward challenges <laughs> haven't eaten a real meal in over a month <laughs> might help us to understand some of the questionable decisions that we we see where like just they are so mentally exhausted uh sometimes the strategy isn't right. as strong in the in the final quarter of the game as it is in the earlier parts um but how else would you so the the um the type of character that you were mentioning the malcolm the ozzy the joe who are they're all for whatever reason they tend to be longer haired men <laughs> right uh the man buns yeah yeah at least in the in the more recent years that they, they they have a man bun at some point during during the season you'd see them walking around camp with a man bun going on um did we ever see that with ozzy early on i'm trying to remember i think ozzy might be the exception to that yeah i don't i don't think so um, but they tend to be so good around camp, so good at as the provider, like you said, and then really good um, at the challenge. And so as viewers, you like want to see them succeed. I don't think anyone in that particular archetype has won the full season, though. They've gotten very far. They've made it to the finals, right? Both Ozzy. Ozzy lost to Yule. Yeah. And yeah. uh, Malcolm got, I can't remember if he ever made it all the way to final, but he yeah. always, he was always post-merge and getting, getting close. I think just final four. Yeah. One time. Yeah. And the season Disney And, and Joe as well. Pretty final far. Four. Yes. Yeah. So far, they go far in the game. Um, just never get that elusive million dollar prize. I think it's often the the like fear of them as the one to be sitting next to in the finale like unless they can ride some individual immunity all the way to the end once they're down to like six contestants on everyone's like well we gotta get this one out first chance we get we gotta vote him out 
Right. Which is that really we weird. Are you that... oh. oh, go ahead. So, sorry, I was just thinking of like another one that even arguably Colby was this typecast, just not long hair, but even he in the final two, after winning almost every challenge, still couldn't get it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes, he's he's definitely in that provider uh, kind of like an early version. He's from the second season was his first season on on Survivor, so very early uh, character that was that's kind of in this in this type. Um, but I think it highlights the the tension that I think is so fascinating about Survivor of playing a good enough game that people want to give you a million dollars, but then also having the a strong enough social game and and strategy game that you make it all the way to the chance to be given that million dollars <laughs> because people get so paranoid <laughs> about who they could possibly be sitting next to that it's it's so consistent post merge like who who's the biggest threat who do i at least want to be sit, sitting next to which sometimes leads to really unsatisfying final threes where it's like no two of you don't even deserve to be there but the one who's there is a jerk <laughs> so i don't know who <laughs> who i want you know who who deserves a million dollars out of this um but that that's what makes the show so successful one reason why i think it's been able to last as long as it has and um be uh such a player in the american pop culture field is that so much of the strategy involves things that are simultaneously pulling you in different directions i need to make a big splashy move so i have a resume i can't make it now because then everyone's going to think i'm the all-star that they have to get rid of um i need to make strong alliances uh so that i get far but eventually i have to start backstabbing people in this alliance and if i do that are they going to vote for me uh when they're on the jury and i'm sitting in the in the final two or final three um and, and being able to make those choices at the right time uh I, every season you see people making the wrong choice. And like, if you replayed the seasons a hundred times at the same starting point, I think you'd get different people in the final two, final three and different people winning um, all the time. Cause there's so many little pivot points and hinges on which the games turn as, as they have to make with very little time, very little sleep, very little calories inside of their body. They have to make these decisions that literally can be million dollar decisions and um, panic can set in and, and freeze them. Or maybe they just happen to make the wrong choice right now and they backstab the wrong person or or they get backstabbed because of something they said at camp. Like the tiniest little thing can change the whole game. Um, going back to Colby, I just watched his first season and that's why he's like strongly on my mind. But he, at the finale, gave a great quote saying, I don't care how many survivors there are, you'll never predict the winner because there's so many dynamics going on. And I think that just sums it up perfectly. Like, any little thing can flip the game and you'll like you could watch it from the start of the season but you can't predict how it's going to go down and that's why this can go on for 40 seasons and not feel repetitive or overdone or not entertaining anymore every season is going to be vastly different from the next one even if you cast the same people it still would be completely different and so that's why the show can go on for 20 plus years and not ever have a boring season well there are, <laughs> there's some seasons that you you just don't click with as much but it's never a predictable outcome one insight that we can get into who has connected with viewers 
who has developed a fan base, whether they win or not, but also who the producers think make good tel- uh, makes good television is who comes back. So what do you think are some of the, the most prominent character types that get brought back besides the the man bun group that you've already identified um uh, uh like what <laughs> what character type is most likely to be invited back from your your sense of uh watching uh, for uh, 40 seasons of survivor i think the the intellectual type often gets brought back like aubrey came back um you know christian's coming back there's just cochran a matter of time back. um cochran yeah cochran came back um, I feel like people really want to root for them. They're a great underdog story and viewers connect with that endearing personality. Um, and they strategize well. They usually have are great in the games and also have very interesting social games. As they acknowledge themselves, they may not always be the most social person, but they try to navigate it and it's it's very interesting to watch their gameplay. Yeah, whether it's um, Cochrane like telling some really awkward personal stories to try and connect with other people, I remember some of those moments. But then Christian on his season, <laughs> he was like he is the stereotypical scientific overanalyzer, right? Um, but he really connected mm-hmm. with some of what we call the frat bro type of characters and they made an alliance that lasted for several episodes it was just kind of and it did not feel like they were like manipulating him like they all actually just really liked each other (laughs) these social type one was a professional wrestler um and and they really did like bond and click in a way that was very unexpected it was just because of a merge that happened where, where or a tribe swap where like they ended up together after a tribe tribe swap and uh the these personality types that you would not have thought would bond uh, formed a really good cohesive little alliance uh, that that ran for a little while. It, it broke up. They had to backstab each other because that's the nature of the game. Like you go into Survivor, I think, expecting to be backstabbed. And obviously there are some people who take that more personally than others. Some people who feel it's more violation of, of trust. Uh, you know, no matter what the initial premise of the show is, uh, they feel like they, you know, I formed a bond that's going to supersede that. And then when they do get back backstabbed, there can be some real bitter feelings. Um, that happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I really do enjoy that character type and seeing them uh, <clears throat> return. Um, and thinking about returning characters, one of the most famous we've already mentioned was Sandra. She was well up until now at the time of this recording is the only person who have, who's won survivor twice. Someone else is going to win. She was back for the winners at war season uh, to, for a chance to try and win a third time, but she's out now. Uh, so one other previous winner is going to become another two-time winner of Survivor. But what character type would you put Sandra into? Uh, I guess instinctually I say villain because only because she's so, I play this for myself and I do what's like this for me, like mentality Mm -hmm. um, that I correlate that with like the villain type of just this is my gameplay and I'll like backstab whoever I need to, to get me forward. Um, like her famous mantra is anyone lump- but me. Right. <laughs> like I will vote. Right. Yeah. No matter what my alliance was before, if this next tribal is anyone but me, <laughs> which, which kind of puts her into the wild card camp a little bit. Cause her, her alliance is a little bit. Yeah. I wanted to are not always going to be the strongest alliance. Not really. Yeah. 
Um, but I was I was thinking about her type uh, today as as one that you so strongly as a viewer root for, and I don't know why that is, but there's something about her that you like you she do anything you're like yes that's great like she's the queen she can do that and even on this past season when Denise pulled a move on her that was at her level of gameplay doing it I felt so betrayed I was like no you cannot do that to her that is a (laughs) morally horrible gameplay like how dare you even though it's exactly exactly the move Sandra would do (laughs) yeah but I couldn't handle it. I was so upset at Denise because she didn't fit that mold of what Sandra is to me that I was upset at her for doing that when I should have been impressed and commended her for it. Well, I think it says a lot about how we as viewers receive and interpret the gameplay after we have started to like codify these players into these types, which happens both from who these characters are, who these contestants are, like what they are, you know, we, we can start applying some generic labels as we see them. And, but it's also how have they been presented to us by production. So like production assigns the outfits that, that they come in on the first day or they approve the outfits that they come in on the first day, which is like when you, when you watch the first season, you know, a first episode of survivor, there's always like, why is that guy in a full suit and tie? Well, it's because he's been cast, mm-hmm to fit a certain character type and production said, you have to look like this on the, on day one. Now by day two on the Island, the sleeves have been cut off the suit jacket. The tie is being used to hold on the buff on the head, you know, like, like they're not actually wearing that anymore, but that's how they want us to have their first image of these people as they come on. And in the edit, and again, what stories, like everyone's going to be giving hours and hours of stories to the producers. We're They're going to have, you know, 24 hours of footage of them around camp interacting, but we only get, you know, five minutes of screen time. Uh, and, and so they're very carefully choosing um, what version or what facets of their personalities are going to be highlighted for us on screen. And so for Denise, uh, who is the one who who tricked Sandra and backstabbed her and got her voted off the game, um, that wasn't the character type that we'd seen from her. The character type we'd seen from her was more of a, I'm going to quietly make my way through, not do big flashy moves. Right. And so for her to do the big flashy backstab early on in the game, particularly early on, like when you're down to the final six, I think all backstabs are off. Like no one cares. (laughs) Like it doesn't feel like a violation for anything to happen because there's so few, but I think it's both the timing of the game and having it done to Sandra and it coming from Denise made it feel unexpected. And, and for you, like, like it was Denise breaking out of the mold that she'd been cast into. Um, and producers love to like give us these shorthand versions of who these people are. Um, like some seasons at the very beginning, they say the theme of this season is uh, blue collar versus white collar versus no collar. So you got your free spirits over on this one tribe. You've got your classic blue collar working with your hands, people on this island, and you've got your white collar. Uh, you know, I'm managing others on this tribe over here. And I guarantee you, a lot of the people on the white collar island had probably had had blue collar jobs and some of the free spirits had probably worked regular jobs too. But once they were told this is who you are, it's, it's interesting to see like how quickly people come to say, well, as a white collar or as a no collar, like this is, (laughs) this is now my only identity at this point. But if you step back before the season, you could have mixed and matched some of these people into the other tribes. But once you're, they're told that's who they are, that's how they start to talk about themselves in, in the world of survivor. 
and and so that like there's some definitely some personality shaping uh that happens and i i think the example you gave of denise backstabbing sandra uh i i think it's a good example of how people breaking out of those personality types can feel uh, in some ways like a betrayal like well that i don't expect that from you right now right that's a perfect way to summarize it it was it felt like a betrayal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i love that you say like well sandra had done that brilliant gameplay sandra love it because <laughs> that's who you beautiful, are beautiful. as a survivor yeah. player <laughs> and you expect that from her and then to have denise pull that was just that's not who she is that's not who i know her to be um i still have yet to get over it <laughs> and, and, and with these returning players often they're like you said they're trying to like um pivot from their previous games or reshape you know they know what some of their flaws were because often returning players are coming back and they've they were voted out in an earlier season so they're like well what what was my weakness how can i do it differently sometimes they can't (laughs) um but sometimes you see things that feel like a natural evolution so it doesn't feel quite as transgressive um so like uh, uh tyson uh is someone who has both been kind of a villain uh, and a wild card, he often gives very sarcastic and biting commentary uh, about other contestants. But there's always also, like, I think a level of self-awareness that makes it feel a little more acceptable because he kind of knows this is performance and we as an audience can see the performative aspect of who, you know, who he's being. Um, but now he's on this most recent season, uh, Winners at War. Um, but we're getting an added layer of like some raw honesty as he talks about missing his daughters. Cause the first time we played, you know, he was single, <laughs> he was, he was, you know, 20, just out of high school, um, in, in his early twenties. And now he's in his late thirties, I think. And he's at a different stage of life. And we're seeing these moments of, um, emotion from him that feel very antithetical to the original version of Tyson we got, but I think feel more like a natural evolution of him as a human being. So it doesn't feel as um, like a, like a break from what we expect. Right. Right. Do you have any final thoughts about survivor or the kinds of characters we see on survivor, Kate? No, I just think um, it's interesting that we naturally as humans want to categorize people and, that's what the producers do each season is define the theme of the season. They like characterize them and you're in this group and you're this group. And um, we naturally want to edit them that way. We naturally want to view them that way. Um, But it is just, the game is one tiny aspect of their lives. And I, I don't want to have anything said about the types of players to be read as this is who they are as human beings in real life but that that is just the small aspect of their character through the lens of a game mm-hmm. yeah and incredibly mediated presentation of snippets of their life on silent for 39 <laughs> days when they were playing a game in which there's they're being invited and almost required to do like a, a broad performance of some parts of who they are right there's no rules on the island. There's no social contract and no one should be held accountable for these actions to as if it was real life. 
Right. For for the back seven, we'll just say season 39 got ugly with some real life stuff that came through that had no part in the game. It wasn't like, oh, they backstabbed an alliance. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's a whole different podcast <laughs> to dive <Yeah>. into. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite Survivor player for you that's ever played? Well, shouldn't be a secret after this podcast, but either Joe or Ozzy, just my heart just loves them so much. <laughs> I don't uh, know me, what it is. I don't know why. But. Uh, I, well, I really gravitate and uh, I don't know what I'm revealing about myself towards those nerdy archetypes. <laughs> so Cochran's <laughs> the season that Cochran won is one of my favorite like performances by a castaway, like a contestant on the show, like his maneuvering to actually win that season is so great. <laughs> it's so masterful. And uh, there's definitely that underdog rooting interest that you get. Um, also like Aubrey is a great one to watch. Um, so some mm-hmm. of the, the, the nerdier ones for me are, are, I think, some of my favorite characters that have been on the show. But there have been a lot of great characters. Um, I think there are times the producers start to rely too much on returning characters. But then you also understand why. Because there have been so many great people that it's kind of pleasant to see them show up on your TV screen again. It's like, oh, I remember their season. They were so good that season. Um, but it's really key, I think, for the, the health of the show. Like, as a long-running project to keep doing all new character seasons and not always say we're bringing back one tribe of all returning players, or we're going to have two returning players on each tribe, which they've done a lot. <laughs> um, uh, I think right. having the, the all new seasons and getting some of these new characters to pop, make it really special when they do uh, like a returning player season. Oh, and I just want to say Christian, yeah, definitely. His, his friendship with Gabby on that one season, that was like nerd power United to the nth degree. And it was so great. <laughs> everyone loved watching that yeah all right well i think that's gonna wrap up this episode thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we would like to thank nick english who designed our logo and scott tofty who composed our theme music you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jadarowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at this minute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Sorry, I lost my script. I was trying to. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if you wanted me to chime in. <laughs> nope. I, <laughs> I was trying to pull up the script for it. Got it.